Hey, Tracy, how are you doing? I'm so good, Jim. How are you doing? Great. Are you staying cool? Because across the United States of America, at least on the West, we are burning up. It is hot, isn't it? Yeah, but you know, we're a little cooler here in the, in the rural part where I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, goodness. How about you? How are you staying cool? You know, it's not too bad. You just got to keep moving, I decided. If you sit, then that's when you get your hottest. <laughs> wow, that's that, interesting. It's a little like, you know, counterintuitive <laughs> there. That's my little thing advice for staying cool. <laughs> my tendency is to just not move at all. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay I, I, enough about cooling techniques. Tell me, who are we going to talk to today? So we're going to talk to Mavis Sanders, Dr. Mavis Sanders and Claudia um, Galindo. And uh, they are both professors and they are uh, really smart about things like community schools and home family, uh, well, family involvement. Nice. That I could nice. put out. <laughs> And we've heard from so many people already on this podcast how important families end up being in, you know, school improvement. And it's, it's a, an untapped source often, right? right Pulling right. families and community members in to make sure that we have all these extra resources for kids. So I'm excited to hear about this. Yeah, and I don't know that we really talked to anybody on this particular podcast specifically um, about family involvement. I mean, that's always come up and been a mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's frequently come up and been a piece of what we've talked about with other people. But these uh, individuals really study family involvement and community schools and how they make a difference. And so that'll be, I think, what's nice. That so nice. Okay, let's bring them in. Hello. Hello. How are you all doing? Good. We are late. I'm sorry. It's like I wasn't sure where I was. There was this 24-hour youth festival. Oh, no. (laughs) Am I in the right place? Oh, no. That's for my theater company. So (laughs) Claudia, did he charge you for tickets to get in then? They say that if I pay the ticket, I was going to get accepted. Oh, my goodness. I should have updated that. I'm so sorry. That's okay. No worries. This is like the all-purpose Zoom channel here. So we do all sorts. Yes. Perfect. <coughs> so the all-purpose Zoom. We're yes. so excited to, to talk with you because, um, you know, I uh, was just telling Tracy that we haven't ever had anybody on the podcast who really specializes in um, family involvement, family engagement, uh, community, community schools. schools. And so we're really excited to be able to hear from you because, um, you know, connecting with families is an important part of what comes up a yeah. lot when we talk to educators, but mm-hmm. not a lot of educators really know how to do that. So mm-hmm. we're so excited that mm-hmm. you, can, mm-hmm. you can help us. But why don't we start off just by telling us a little about yourselves. Okay, I mean, go ahead, Claudia, you can start. Okay, so uh, good night for us. Uh, My name is Claudia Galindo. I am an associate professor at the University of Maryland, um, College Park. 
And most of my work centers around issues of educational equity, policy, social justice, with a lot of emphasis on families, schools, communities, and how, how we can make them work together and better. Very nice. Hello, everybody. My name is Mavis Sanders. I'm a professor at UMBC, a professor of education and inaugural director of the Sherman Center for Early Learning in Urban Communities. Um, I've been at UMBC for 10 years, working on issues of family and community engagement primarily. And before that, I spent 16 years at um, Johns Hopkins, where I worked with Joyce Epstein as assistant director of the National Network of Partnership Schools. So it's been quite a journey, um, just trying to investigate and understand how we can bring schools and families and communities together to support students learning. I am so excited to hear about this. And uh, just to give you a peek in my other job, I actually work at the state and um, working towards you know, school improvement efforts. And right now, in fact, uh, we are trying to put together um, a grant, if you will, for an RFP that would bring some community engagement and into the middle level schools mm -hmm. because we see that there's a transition challenge from the elementary to the middle and also maybe from the middle to the to the high school and it's a time when we really lose a lot of our families so mm -hmm. i have a, a particular interest and i'm all ears because i i want to know and i know there's so much to tell us but I want to know, how do you get schools started, right? We know those schools that have been kind of beacons of hope for community mm -hmm. engagement. And at some point long before I paid attention, somebody had to start it. Yes. And I want to know how, how do schools get started at really becoming a, a community-centered school? Mm -hmm. Wow. So, so there are two things going on there, right? So I, we, we can talk about both right? We can talk about the community schools model and what we refer to as full service community schools mm -hmm. to sort of distinguish between like a neighborhood, just community school. So we use full service community schools a lot. Or we can just talk about family engagement and how schools can begin to think about family outreach and engagement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you tell us which, which direction we should, should go in. Well, since we are about little things first, let's start with the little thing first. And that would be the parent engagement. And, mm -hmm. and that's something all of us can do. All of us mm -hmm. can reach out and extend a hand to our families and, and talk mm -hmm. to us a little bit about that work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, should I just go ahead, Mark, maybe? Yeah, sure. And I'm just going to throw out some ideas mm -hmm. because we're talking about leader things. I think it's important to think about hope first and coming together, right? So as schools, as institutions, parents and teachers, we need to believe that this is something that we could do. Um, and, and after we have this belief, right? We have all these different practices in which we could rely on to think about, okay, how do we make this work? I guess if you ask me, based on um, all my years of experience in research and schools, one of the key things is that, that we really need to have a true commitment to building these partnerships. And, and when I say a true commitment, I mean that all different 
stakeholders involved really needs to believe that this is important, that it's not going to be easy, right? Because uh, in many cases, and then, sorry, maybe I'm going to let you talk. No, no, no. Take your time. In, in, in many cases, it's not easy. When we have many more peoples in the table, sometimes it's difficult it's more difficult to find the menu that we're going to cook for dinner, right? Because yeah. everybody wants different things. I may want to have chicken and then, I don't know, maybe they want to have our vegetables, right? And, but we need to choose a menu. So when we have many more people on the table, it's, sometimes we have our own interests that are more difficult to put on the side for the greater good. So just to wrap up the idea, I guess, for me, the true commitment understanding that this is not an easy task, that is a process that is going to take many, many years and efforts, errors and victories. Uh, but we really need to understand and believe that our students, our families and our schools are going to be better. Love that. Right. And, and you're absolutely right. It is a, it is a mindset shift before any true change happens. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. And, and we have good standards to get people started. You know, the, the, the Parent Teacher Association, they have the national standards for family engagement. What I've noticed over time is that there are different barriers to this work. And one of it is just time. Mm -hmm. You know, we're asking educators to do a lot. Mm -hmm. And then we say, in addition to, could you? Mm -hmm. and, and we often frame it as if it's extra or in addition to, mm -hmm. as if it is really critical and foundational work for teachers. And if we believe it's critical and foundational work, we have to create the time and the space. And I think that's where principal and building leaders come into play. We've seen principals who, you know, have taken a portion of faculty meetings or you know, professional development meetings and say, now here's an extra hour. We're going to stop an hour early, go and contact families, go and reach out to families. Like they create space and opportunities for teachers to do this work that's so important. And the other is that I think we have to have some honest conversations about why mm -hmm. we're, you know, we're not engaging with one another as we would hope. Because everybody uses the euphemism, oh, it takes a village. Everybody buys into family engagement in principle, in theory. Mm -hmm. But when I talk to educators, sometimes I hear young educators, they're fearful. Mm -hmm. They don't have children. They've never raised children. They're like, what am I going to say to these parents? Um, sometimes people have misconceptions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, these parents don't care about their children for any reason, you know, whether it is the barrier of income or race or language or ethnicity, sometimes we have these preconceived notions. And so it will take some time for us to really pinpoint what are some of the obstructions mm -hmm. to us engaging with one another around something that we can all agree on. We love, we love and want the best for the students and our children. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the barriers to communication? And I think by having those honest conversations, we can begin to make progress to what Claudia was saying. You know, we can commit to overcoming some of those barriers and being honest and realize, you know, 
the largest room in any home is the room for improvement is what they say. <laughs> so, so we can all improve. We can all sort of, you know, reflect, interrogate, yeah. but building leaders can help by creating the time, giving the professional development, giving the space for teachers to sort of develop in this way. Yeah. So I think um, one of the things I found is that um, when we get people in that space, we don't always know like what to talk about exactly, like what kinds of things we should be discussing or collaborating about. And so um, I sometimes feel like the space that we give to family engagement is almost trivial to a certain extent. What are your thoughts about that? What have you seen work? What kinds of things can schools prioritize for family engagement so it doesn't feel like, well, just to throw out an example, I mean, in, in some of the schools where I've been, some of the parents have to sign off on plans, like improvement plans. But that's really all they do is sign off on them. So all the, all the planning and all the work is really done behind the scenes. And then, you know, the principal brings it out and says, hey, okay, will you agree to this? And sure. And they sign off on it. So I'm just wondering, are those the right things that we should be discussing with parents or uh, what exactly should we be talking about? Mm-hmm. So if, if you ask me, I think there's many right things and perhaps this is not going to be a good answer for you. Okay. <laughs> because I really feel that the needs are going to depend on the schools and the particular circumstances of the families and of the kids. And I think one thing that you said maybe is that I really liked is a notion about always improving. So thinking about setting realistic goals for a given year and a given circumstance in the school, I think it's very important. Perhaps um, sometimes we try to do too much at the same time mm-hmm. uh, and we don't end up being satisfied with the different things that we do, right? I honestly believe that parents' voice and parents' input at different levels is very important. Mm-hmm. At the same time, maybe there's one year, or if we think about last year, for example, with COVID, mm-hmm. how much schools could have really incorporated parent voice voices or, or their perspective when we barely could survive uh, the craziness of COVID and social injustice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what, I would, what I'm trying to say is that there's different things that we could do which one is the best or which one is the one with whom we could start is gonna, in my opinion, is gonna depend from the context and the needs of students, families, communities. Absolutely. We both have, um, well, we initially met at Hopkins. Yeah. (laughs) Both with Joyce working at, at the Center for the Social Organization of Schools. And, you know, just like there's the standards for the Parent Teacher Association, we also were introduced and helped to advance Joyce's framework for six types of involvement. Because I think what you're saying, Jim, is that we, we don't want family engagement to be reduced to these procedural mm-hmm. kinds of contractual, okay, sign off on this. Here's a compact. Do you agree to do this? You agree to do that? And then we never revisit the compact again, you know? And so Joyce had a framework or has a framework of six types of involvement. So whether it's talking about parenting and, you know, dealing with issues that parents are facing, whether it's with their middle schoolers, whether it is during periods like COVID, how do I 
how do I begin to balance this? I have more than one child. I have three children who one device logging on, like, where do I go to for that kind of support? You know, um, so the school may want to focus on that because it's something from like what Claudia said, a needs assessment said families are really wanting to have support around this particular issue. Mm -hmm. But Joyce also talks about communicating. How do we get a system of regular communication so that families have the information they need to be as impactful as they can be and schools have the information they need to be as supportive of children's learning as they can be. Like just focusing on that. Um, volunteering, whether it's at home or in the school building, Helping families understand how they could support their children's learning at home. That's the fourth type that Joyce talks about. Decision-making, getting families involved in decisions that relate to their child and their child's progress in schools. And then the last is the notion of engaging the community. Mm -hmm. So those kinds of framework and the many, 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 many activities. Now, because some people look at that framework and they're like, oh, it's so prescriptive and, you know, we have to do this and it's so, you know, limited to middle-class families and really it's just a framework. And there are hundreds of activities that schools can begin to think about within that framework um, to meet the needs of their teachers and their schools and their families um, with their community mm -hmm. partners. So we definitely want to get beyond just the checklist. Mm -hmm. That's not engagement that's not partnership that's that's I don't know it's um I guess compliance yeah but we want more than you know family compliance we we want something at a, at a deeper level right I'm so glad that Jim brought that up, though, because I think that that people really and you, Mavis, also said, you know, people do get kind of afraid, right? Like, what if I say the wrong thing or I don't want to offend anybody? And um, I'm thinking about my own experience when I was initially put in uh, kind of a turnaround school situation. And I talk about this now with uh, some people who do family engagement and they're there's a little bit of wincing when I tell them this story because they're like, oh, oh, you know, oh, you should maybe not have done that. So, but, but basically it, we were kind of in a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. So we set aside money before school to have teachers do home visits. And we said two questions, ask them, what are your hopes and dreams for your kid? Mm -hmm. And what else do you think we need to know? Mm-hmm. And, and then we just ask them to go out and the wincing comes because I'm sure there were other rules we were supposed to be following. <laughs> it ended up working out pretty good, but yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are about the process of home visits, because I also see culturally, there's lots of different responses mm -hmm. to reaching out in that format. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? So I guess for me, home visits is... I see it more as a community visit more than a home visit, right? Because in some contexts, yes, families will be open and they will be willing to let you into their homes. But in other places, perhaps, you know, homes can be private spaces where families, I don't know, if somebody knocks on my door and wants to come into my house, perhaps I have, I don't know, dirty clothes somewhere that I don't want people <laughs> to see. So, so for me, what it matters is the meaning of, and I think you were saying it, right? Going to 
to, to these community shared spaces or to go into the spaces of their the parents, the families, to say, I really care. Because when you were asking those questions you were saying, Trace, is really, I care about what you have to share with me. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where it is for me. What it matters is that it's happening. And sometimes there are many community centers, perhaps, that we could use to in the community and teachers could go to the community centers. But having these conversations and really saying, hey, I'm, I'm the teacher, I'm from the school, I want to know you better. That's for me, that's where the power yeah. of this activity resides. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe I go back to the point that you make earlier. Teachers have so many things to do, so many responsibilities, standards, pressures, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. AYPs and all the many things that we put in our schools that sometimes it's also a struggle to say, hey, on top of everything, go and visit your kids. So yeah. So your point is very well taken, maybe. It's how do we make, um, and this is something that I don't know what I should say, but we are writing about and maybe have had these great <laughs> ideas. So, so how do we really make family engagement a key component of teachers' roles? So they don't see it, oh, I have to do this, but it's really part of their their. Yeah. Daily yeah, yeah, and and that might be a nice segue to full service community schools. We can talk a little bit about that and, and how we think that it, it can support family engagement. But I would also say, Tracy, you know, people. I mean, the literature really supports home visits, right? Um, they are usually viewed um, positively from the teacher's perspective if you can get them to do it, right? As the family's perspective. I think the fact that you gave permission for people to come outside of the school walls um, and actually go out into the community is exactly what Claudia was saying in terms of expression of care. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact that some families may be more open to it than others and utilizing community spaces as alternatives. You know, some people have like a school bus where families can they park the bus in the community and, and people can come onto the bus and, and they can have conversations that way. Some people with, with school visits, some people use that McDonald's in the community, like wherever that space is, but bringing teachers out outside of that sort of contested space sometimes yeah. schools become, I think is a really fantastic idea and it's a way for people now I have been a recipient of such things I think one time oh really yeah I think that the teachers were actually doing a community walk one time through our neighborhood or whatever like and I think it was like the early ones and my kids were coming out and everybody was waving to the teachers (laughs) so that was pretty you know it it was I was a shock but then it was sort of nice because all the families came out in the yards and everybody was waving and it was like, oh, they had a banner, like school's about to start. And that was a really cool experience. And even when I get the, I have had a couple of teachers um, call the house before my children were starting in school to introduce themselves. It was a shock. It's always a shock, but it's such a nice shock. Because yeah. they're like, oh, you know, I just wanted to do this myself. I'm really looking forward to, to, to meeting, you know, whether it was Jeff or Shori, you know. Um, and I always came away saying, I think this is going to be a good year. <laughs> yeah. It always sort of starts off with that sort of optimism that this person is taking the time. So I think that those kinds of activities are powerful. Um, having families 
as a part of whatever your planning committee is, you know, because that's one thing that we always do. If any of our work with districts or schools, we always make sure that we have teachers and principals and district coordinate, community school coordinate staff as a part of our discussion. Because we're like, okay, mm-hmm. we need to throw this idea against the wall. Like you tell us what's the best case scenario, what's the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having planning teams at the school level that include those families, that include teachers, that includes staff, whether it's a counselor or a social worker, is a great way to begin to think about planning family outreach and partnerships. Um, And then you can toss around ideas like, oh, is it great? Is it better to have some people knock on the door? Or should we, if it's an apartment complex, should we just sort of camp out in the sort of lobby? Like how best to construct Mm -hmm. these community visits, you know? So having as many voices involved as possible in the planning of these kinds of things is really good. Yeah. I love that. I've been in schools where we've done home visits and I think that they have been, they have the potential to be very valuable. It just Mm -hmm. sort of depends on, you're right, it goes back to the intent and, um, you know, what what the goals are in, in doing that. Is it to connect and get increased communication and to show that we care? Yeah. Um, or is it a piece of compliance that we're required to do because yeah. we have to do it? So yeah, I, I, I appreciate that perspective. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, um, you mentioned full service community schools and I would love to hear what the difference is between a community school and a full service community school and how a school that might be interested in that model should start to move towards that. Mm-hmm. So, I would say different parts of the country and different schools, different different researchers use different labels, right? Mm -hmm. But when we think about full service community schools or community schools, even there are other labels maybe that maybe that you may remember, they all, I'm sorry, my cats are going to start fighting. (laughs) I apologize (laughs) if you hear noises. Just be safe. (laughs) No, yes, they, (laughs) yes. They like her. Yeah, they, but they just, I don't know why. They don't like each other, but they like her, so. <laughs> yes, so they don't do anything with me. Um, so there's different labels that are being used uh, to reflect the same principles, ideas, and values, right? Which is, we have these schools that really are, uh, believe that for students to be successful and to be able to learn, you really need to look at their needs, their strengths, holistically right so if you think about learning you have cognitive learning but you have also social emotional well-being you know you also have psychological well-being families have needs so so you think about not only provision of services but yes provision of services to support all their different needs it's one of the key components of these schools that are really not only committed to the whole child the holistic development of students but also to really build these true partnerships with communities, with families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when we, you know, just to build on that, we usually think about four pillars of practice. So the integrated services that Claudia is talking about, and that spans, right? So that could be health services, counseling. So, um, But there's also the notion that you're going to have extended learning opportunities. 
So that may mean after school programming, summer programs, um, whenever there's extended sort of closings of schools, maybe the winter break or whatever, you have learning opportunities. And these are not only, you know, for students, but full service community schools think of themselves as a hub in the community. Mm-hmm. So there should be learning opportunities for community members and families, um, maybe job training, like whatever the sort of needs are, arts, STEM, whatever um, they're interested in. When you go inside a full service community school, it actually should look different. There should be, you know, collaborative, inclusive leadership. Um, and we talk about that a lot, but uh, even in, you know, traditional schools, everybody's pushing collaborative leadership, but within these schools, you should be able to see all types of teams and community members being a part of those teams and in being very inclusive. And then last but not least, family engagement, family and community engagement are the, like the fourth pillar of these full service community schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that might be a little different and, and again, as because some of these are best practices, you will see them implemented in schools that don't call themselves full service community schools, but full service community schools really are very intentional about developing these and having the dedicated staff Mm -hmm. to carry it out. Mm -hmm. So in a full service community school, you will see a a community school coordinator. Mm In addition to your your social worker or your counselor or whatever, you may also see a nurse practitioner or a nurse in that building or some type of clinician to coordinate the health. So you will see dedicated staff and you should see elements of these pillars being developed, you know. and just to so emphasize- all of them aren't perfect. They all don't reach that sort of ultimate goal. But it's this notion that they understand and recognize that students' learning is influenced by complex interaction of factors, some that are in school, but many that are outside of school. So it's not like, oh, we have that one student and we know that student and the family are homeless. And then the teacher has to scramble or the principal or somebody has to scramble to figure out, well, what do we do? How do we get housing? Mm This is a, the school is a place where if that is an issue for that particular student, they can immediately connect them to services. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the community school coordinator sort of role to do that. So that's really what sort of creates a different, it's a different kind of model that acknowledges these complexities. I just wanted to emphasize that bidirectional role with the community, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you were talking and you mentioned maybe it's, you know, training or after school opportunity, learning opportunities for parents, for example, if you think about uh, families that do not have English as their first language, there are classes for parents to learn English, or sometimes if you need some legal services, perhaps there is a legal services in the schools. And also I think the other piece that is important is that intentionally there's this commitment to build partnerships with organizations, community stores, mm-hmm. institutions, you know, YMCAs. Uh, so, so really bringing into school and also providing resources, right? So we share resources across and beyond the walls of the school. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why we love, we love community. Yeah, 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 absolutely. We've yeah. seen amazing um, after school programs that build on the culture of students, you know, dan- dance classes. Uh, we've seen, but also like chess clubs and um, people going to the pool and having swimming lessons because we know in certain communities, children may not be able to swim. And so you have a lot of pool accidents or water accidents, but the school becomes, you know, this responsive organization to really sort of, it it just becomes a part of the the community in in a sense. And when there's a need, the school becomes a hub. It helps to coordinate services, supports resources, but it just becomes um, a part of that, that community and promotes community development. So the exchange is reciprocal and, and it's, you know, when it works, the model, like when, when, when yeah. we say it works, you want to be at that school and you want your child to be at that school, right? Right. I wonder, um, to me, I've, I've worked in actually a, a community learning center as a principal mm-hmm. and- um, That's another term that's sometimes used. Yeah, yeah, and it w- we had a, uh, coordinator who who ran it and um, it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. I do find uh, in that particular experience I found at least that um, sometimes there was a fine line between being a hub of services for the community that are truly responsive to the community and kind of this deficit oriented mm-hmm. view of the community and what we perceive that they need. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because sometimes I felt like um, you know, is this really what the community wants or is this what we assume that they want because we have some attitudes that haven't been unpacked mm-hmm. yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, Jim, you're raising a very important point that I think we've been struggling for a lot of years, right? How, how do we really take a trans-based approach uh, when we're thinking about working with diverse families? And, and in many cases, we really feel that because we are teachers or principals or, or even scholars, right? We know what's the best way of doing things or what it is that we should do. That's why I think building this authentic relationship with families and communities is so important because at the end, uh, the way in which this model, this strategy is being implemented is entirely responding to their needs and the strengths of the communities, which I think is very important. Yeah. So we need to learn not only what, which are the areas in which we need to work to improve, right? Because uh, we need to be realistic. There's many struggles that we have in black and brown and low income communities in terms of, we know families work many hours. Sometimes they may not have the resources to support, but they have the desire and the commitment. So how do we build from the strengths to implement these philosophy, the way, this way about thinking education is something that is very important. That's why we really, we really think about these schools as a space where the communities have a very important voice to put into a table and, and, and share and, and, and not only share their dreams, their expectations, their perspective, but also, you know, what, what it is that they think the education of their kids should be. So, um, so building from the strengths and I've seen this in many cases. We've seen it in some of these, uh, in some of our different projects. When we bring together teachers and parents, and they start, they start talking about how they see the future of their kids. They really start understanding how, even we may have different lenses, 
right? We all want at the end our kids to do the best and to get ahead and and to be successful and happy in life, right? Which is at least <laughs> life is super sometimes. That learning is super important, but we also need happy and healthy students. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. That whole child approach is essential. And I think, Jim, you hit on something, you know, that's really important because we talk about those four pillars of practice and they become these sort of structural indicators of a full service community school. But what we didn't mention is the fact, and I think this is, you know, this is what Claudia is talking about. Full service community schools, in theory, are, are sort of a, a social justice and equity mm-hmm. sort of reform, right? So it is very much framed within a social justice context. And we um, borrow from our colleagues, uh, McKinney DeRoyston, Tia Matkins, Nasir, who talk about the importance of sociopolitical clarity, mm-hmm. right? We can't really achieve this transformative potential of these full service community schools if we don't talk about equity, if we don't approach it from an equity framework, if we're not clear on how our implicit bias, our subconscious or unconscious bias is influencing how we're engaging with families and students. So to be able to, you know, as, as Claudia said, there should be no services that are just created mm-hmm. you know, without, a, without engagement from, with families, without a needs assessment and an asset mapping, right? So they always begin with that. Um, and that just sort of expresses to families that we're not coming in um, to save you. We're coming in to engage with you, right? So for the mutual benefit of, of all the stakeholders mm-hmm. and having that socio-political clarity is absolutely essential. So the, so the actors really have to buy into the, the principles of equity that full service community schools are based on. And if they don't, it does become this noblesse oblige, you know, let's go out and, you know, feed the peasants and that kind of thing. And and that's exactly not what full service community schools should be. So making sure that all of the stakeholders are very aware of these underlying equity principles, as well as those sort of structural dimensions of full service community schools we talked about becomes really important. So so many times it's not what you do, but how you do it. And that goes back to even, like you said, the home, the home visits or the community visits. It's all about the how and the um and the, the intent. Engage with people and the care, right? The whole yeah. child, the whole community. Yeah. Family. So you hit that on the head. And <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully, you know, that whole notion of, of improvement and constant. Um, improvement is is the learning center still there you think yeah it is I'm not there anymore but it's still there and um, actually the the district where 
Tracy and I used to work, one of their uh, focuses used to be community learning centers under a previous superintendent. And then, you know, new leadership came along and that priority got moved down quite a bit. And so I'm just not sure. I'm, we're not there anymore. So I'm not sure where they stand in terms of the yeah. focus on community learning yeah. centers, but they've got a few in the district currently, but uh, yeah, I, I yeah. love to hear that perspective and, and um, it sounds like more districts need to prioritize that. Yeah. Yeah. And you hit on another issue, sustainability. And that's the reason we're hopeful right now. We're hopeful that um, the awareness of this, this strategy you know, uh, more federal money, more state money, more local money is being earmarked to expand full service community schools because it's been a struggle to maintain them over time. You get a new, you know, you get a new superintendent, you know, another, and then you, it's education, yeah? you know, strategies come and strategies go. But we hope that we're in a, a moment right now because we've talked about different iterations of full service community schools by different names over different historical periods. We hope that we're coming into a period now where we can see their sustained implementation for time, for a time. You know, we know it won't be forever because we are in the field of education, <laughs> but, but sustained implementation could make a huge difference for a generation of, of of children and their families. So we're, we're hopeful. Well, we wish we could talk to you all day and all night. And in fact, Mavis, I think someone's waiting for you. And I know Jim, you had someone poke his head up behind you there. So that's both a sign. We got to probably wrap it up. And in that sense, we have one last question for both of you. Yeah. If you could travel back in time in a time machine <laughs> and talk to a younger you, what advice would you give yourself? You know, Tracy, I was thinking a lot about that question. <laughs> and my first instinct, my first instinct, what to say, I don't know. <laughs> but but I, I did find to one answer, which it took me some time. It's like that I think it's important to be patient, that sometimes the expectations that we have in research or in working with schools are so high that you are never satisfied or positive about what you are accomplished. Uh, but that the process and, and the little accomplishment some, sometimes are much more powerful and important than having these huge expectations. So at least I would say to myself, be patient, set goals that are realistic and learn to be satisfied and happy with improving always. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Maybe, how about you? That is nice. Well, I was telling my daughter, you know, young people never listen. <laughs> but older people have to say anyway, so <laughs> I probably wouldn't bother. But, but um, you know, I, I guess, I guess I would, I would say that, um, you know, just let let the questions, let the questions that. Um, you're passionate about, lead the work, you know, and try to stay, you know, stay optimistic um, because I think our young people require our optimism. So stay optimistic and don't let the churn and um, the disappointments 
um, take you away from education because it really is important. So, Every day, touch lives. Now, you both have a book, is that right, that you've written about community schools? Do you want to talk about well, that? Well, we edited it. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and give the plug, Claudia. Well, I have to be, I don't know, but I'm just going to be honest. We're terrible at self-promotion. <laughs> yeah, well, promote, promote. This is your chance. So, so, yes, so we did brought this edited book together, which I think both of us are very proud about because it covers different elements and different dimensions and aspects of full service coming to schools. So one thing that we did in that book that Jimmy, I think you may appreciate is the fact that we also, there's one chapter, for example, that talks about the role of school districts, right? Another chapter that talks about leadership within the schools, this notion that maybe was talking about political clarity was also there. So we really brought different scholars from around the country and from different experiences working with full service community school to try to provide a holistic picture of this strategy and how it's evolving. So I, and I know you too, it's like, I don't love to say that this is a great book, but I have to say it, it is a great book and I hope it <laughs> Own it, Claudia, own it. That's, yes. the title. <laughs> That's one thing that also will tell my young self, learn how to self-promote. Right. <laughs> so what's the title of the book? Maybe success, I don't even remember. I think it's Review of Full Service Community Schools and it's published by Routledge. Yes, but it's success something or no? It's just, where don't you ever, let's find Maybe it. Maybe that's your new book. <laughs> um, let's put in, well, you can always Google. <laughs> I'm going to bring it up though, really. We'll link, we'll link to it in our, in our notes yes. to the Review show. The success of full service community schools. Yes. Reviewing the success. Mm-hmm. Let me for tell you, if I ever get a book out, I will know the title, that's for sure. So. <laughs> You're gonna have to practice on that, lady. But you know, it's, it's getting close to our bedtime, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. You're two hours ahead of us. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, and, no worries. And, this is a great pleasure. Yeah, Dr. Sanders, I've, I've been a fan for many years. I've, I own several of your books, and so I appreciate you taking the time as well to to meet with us and it's just been great. Thank you so much for the invitation. You guys are wonderful. So comfortable. Um, I'm sure, you know, Claudia did as well. Her cats are not fighting or anymore. Yes. (laughs) That's a good day. You guys are miracle workers. Thank Thank you so much much for the invitation. Have a good night. Thank you for spending time with us. We so appreciate your time. Thanks for your work. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye.